Well, let us continue in worship this morning as we open God's word to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. And this morning we're looking at verse 15. It's already been a wonderful encouragement to be here as we consider the promises of what is to come. In the meantime, we seek to please our Lord as we continue to look to Christ and the word of the Lord. Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, you shall not steal. You shall not steal. This is our verse for this morning as we continue to consider the Ten Commandments. Now, in my introduction to last week's sermon on the Seventh Commandment regarding adultery, I made the following statement. Nothing sets you apart in this world more clearly as a child of God adopted through Jesus Christ than a life of sexual purity. I still believe in what I said a week ago. And I based it on 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, where Paul says in no uncertain terms that this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Sexual purity is a sure way to know that you are walking within God's will. It is a clear sign that the Spirit of God is at work within you. In other words, few other virtues can signal the work of grace within a believer more clearly than his or her desire to live his or her sexuality to the glory of God. Last week, then, I started off with a positive statement that set the seventh commandment in proper perspective. Today, I will begin with a negative statement, which will apply not only to today's message, but also to next weeks. And it goes like this. Nothing makes you more like Satan than lying and stealing or stealing and lying. But since we're looking at the eighth commandment this morning, let me focus on Satan as a thief. Before I read the passage, I want to bring to your attention. Uh, I want to make sure you understand the following. I believe Satan is busy right now. He's busy right now as we speak, stealing because he is a thief. In fact, I would even say that stealing lies at the very heart of what Satan does. I will show you this by asking you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. We are looking at the parable of the sower. Now, let me just make a brief comment. comment. The sower is the preacher. He is the evangelist. And the seed is the word of God. Now, listen to how our Lord Jesus described Satan's activity in the human heart. In verses 14 and 15 of Mark chapter 4. Listen to these words. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, 
Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Did you hear that? Satan immediately comes and he takes away what is sown in them. Do you know one thing that Satan hates with all his being? He hates the word of God. So he steals the word away from the heart every opportunity he gets. And I believe this to be Satan's number one activity in the world today against the church, against humanity. This is why I said that stealing could be said to be at the very heart of what Satan is doing in the world. If he can steal the seed of God's word from people's hearts, then the word won't take root. Satan is a thief. Now, he may not be a material thief, although if you read the book of Job, you understand that he can take away health and, and all those things as well, but he is primarily a spiritual thief. Nonetheless, Satan does stand as an example of what stealing looks like because of what he does by taking it, taking the word of God away from the heart. That is the essence of what stealing means. So the bare bones definition of stealing then is the taking away of something that does not belong to us. We understand that much. But the place to begin this morning may surprise you a bit. The first point that I want to make was drawn to my attention by a commentator who wrote a commentary on the Ten Commandments, Jay Dumas. And Dumas spoke about the history of interpretation of the Eighth Commandment. In other words, he addressed the topic of how biblical interpreters in the past have handled this particular commandment. And he opened my eyes to an aspect of the eighth commandment that is often missed in contemporary discussions, but one that we cannot afford to ignore. And this is the first question in our sermon notes. What does the eighth commandment recognize? What does the eighth commandment recognize? Here's the answer. It recognizes the value of human freedom and dignity. It recognizes the value of human freedom and dignity. What do I mean by that? And why is this the first place to start? As I said in his commentary, Jay Duma traces the line of interpretation that the eighth commandment has received over many years. And he pointed out that at the heart of that interpretation of this particular commandment was this, that stealing was primarily uh, at the heart of the interpretation of this commandment was a reference to the illegal taking of human life, the illegal taking of human beings for evil purposes. In short, for several interpreters of the past, the eighth commandment deals first and foremost with the sin of slavery and or kidnapping, which is very interesting. This is not the only meaning, but certainly the main one. But the question is, where did they get that from? How did they come to that conclusion? Turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And I want to show you here something that is, is quite interesting and quite revealing, something that we don't often think about. As we read these verses out of 1 Timothy chapter 1, I want you to do an exercise with me. Please 
see if you can identify some of the Ten Commandments, especially in the second table of the law. All right, let's read beginning in verse 8 of 1 Timothy chapter 1. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers. Do you recognize the commandment there? Yes. The fifth, honor your father and mother. For murderers, do you recognize the commandment there? Commandment number Six, it even, it's even given to us in order. So we have commandment number five, commandment six. Then the sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality. That is the seventh commandment. And then it says enslavers. Which commandment is that? Let's keep reading. Liars, perjurers. What commandment is that? The ninth commandment. And whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. So we easily identified the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, and the ninth commandments on that list. But what do we do about enslavers? Consider how the King James Version and the American Standard Version translate that word. Man-stealers. Man-stealers. The New King James Version translates it as kidnappers. And both the Christian Standard Bible and the New International Version translate it as slave traders. And here's the Vulgate version of the Bible, which is the Latin version of the Bible. It's just an interesting word they use. Plagiaris. Plagiaris. Does that sound familiar? That word is the word from which we get the English word plagiarism which normally refers to the stealing of ideas from other people. But it originally referred to the stealing of people like kidnapping, slavery, etc. Interestingly, there have been interpreters in the past who saw a direct connection between the word enslavers in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 10 and the 8th commandment. And I believe they were correct. Now sadly, Let me bring this into our contemporary situation. This is a present reality for us in our modern era. Stealing is being carried out in one of the most horrific ways, namely human trafficking, human trafficking, which is happening, happening all over the world as we speak right now. It is estimated that over 20 million people are in the bonds of human trafficking in some form Today, many human beings, especially minors, are being taken by force, kidnapped or stolen, and subsequently exploited for evil purposes, mostly having to do with forced labor and sexual exploitation. Just to give you an idea, there are approximately 79,000 children, including youth, being sexually exploited at any given time in the state of Texas alone, in the state of Texas alone. And those who traffic people for forced labor steal an average, an average of 600 million every year from the state of Texas. 
Many are calling human trafficking modern-day slavery, and I agree. I agree. Human traffickers are stealing not only people's freedoms, but they also rob them of their dignity by using them for very horrific purposes. And by the way, uh, be very careful. Be very, very careful because many of these enslavers, kidnappers, and man-stealers are very active in social media. In social media. And in many cases, it is social media. It is the door they get to use to enter into our homes. Brothers and sisters, there are true victims of kidnapping and slavery right now in the world. And these are crimes that are in direct defiance of the Eighth Commandment. This is theft at its worst. And it is happening today. Therefore, this is the place to start because the Eighth Commandment, as I said, recognizes first and foremost the value of human freedom and dignity. It is directed primarily to people, not to things. And this has been the main concern for many Bible interpreters for years. It should be ours as well. Now, parents, let me make a a practical point of application here. Let me remind you of something. When I preached on the fifth commandment many weeks ago, which is honor your father and mother, I said that there, in that commandment, there is an implicit reciprocity. Children are to honor their parents because parents are placed in their lives for instruction, protection, provision, and example. And I also said that since this is the first commandment of the second table of the law, then this is also where love for neighbor begins. Thus, parents, you must love your children by protecting them from the thief, from the thief. And there are many thieves out there, not just the thief who enslaves, but also the thief who steals truth by selling confusion and lies through social media, television, and the internet in general. This is a present and real danger for our children. Pay attention. Don't do what I, what I do with my workouts sometimes. It happens that I put a really good effort into my workouts and I do a lot of sweating. But then 10 minutes later, I'm eating French bread. You know, bread is a thief of my efforts. Likewise, parents sometimes bring their kids to church to put truth into their minds. And that's fine and that's good. But then they go home and they allow television and social media to influence their thinking and the truth gets stolen from their hearts. Love your children by reinforcing the truth they hear so that it doesn't get taken away by falsehoods and man-made philosophies. So now let's move on into the second question. What does the eighth commandment imply? What does the eighth commandment imply? It implies, and we're entering into the obvious aspect here. It implies the right to private property. It implies the right to private property. Not only does the eighth commandment recognize the value of human freedom and dignity, but it also implies the right for people to have property. This is the more obvious aspect of the eighth commandment. If there is a prohibition against stealing, then the only reasonable truth behind that prohibition is that people have a right to call certain things 
their own. This is why in the Fifth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, we read the following words, and I quote, No person shall be deprived of life, liberty, and property without due process of law, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation, end quote. You see, the framers of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights did not come up with those principles on their own. They simply recognized them as already in existence. They saw them for what they are, a universal law that applies in all places to all peoples. And the fact that there have been some horrendous violations to this law in human history does not have any bearing on the truthfulness of the principle itself. And all of it is rooted in God's commandments, in God's commandments, which are given for the purpose of human flourishing. And this, of course, applies to both material and intellectual property. Hence the reason why, why plagiarism comes with such heavy consequences. Plagiarism is intellectual theft. It happens when someone takes a thought, an argument, an idea that belongs to someone else, and it doesn't give credit, but takes credit for it or himself. This is a form of theft. It is stealing. Hence the need for copyright laws that make it illegal to do just that, to steal ideas and arguments. In many theological seminaries and academic institutions, plagiarism is considered to be a severe offense. It, it, uh, it will lead you to be expelled from the institution itself. It is a serious, serious violation. And it all has to do with the Eighth Commandment, which implies the right to own both material and intellectual property. Now, this naturally leads us to the, to the next question. What does the Eighth Commandment require? What does the Eighth Commandment require? It requires, and this flows out of the point that I just made, made it requires the establishment of legal boundaries. It requires the establishment of legal boundaries. Embedded in this commandment is the idea of the legal protection of property. Legal protection of property. The breaking of this commandment requires that punishment be given. But the requirements of legal boundary also require the existence of authorities that can enforce punishment when legal boundaries are violated. Once again, we must be thankful, brothers and sisters, for just and righteous rulers and authorities who are capable of guaranteeing these things for the citizens. You see, the Eighth Commandment alone, taken to all its logical conclusions, leads us to understand at least three general truths. Three general truths. Number one, that man will at times want to steal. Number two, that legal boundaries are necessary for protection. And number three, that authorities vested with power are required for any society to flourish and see economic and social stability. If you don't assume the first one, don't act on the second one, and don't have the third one, you are asking for anarchy. In the same line of thought, consider with me the deeply theological nature of the Eighth Commandment. It takes for granted, it takes for granted a theology of human 
depravity. It takes for granted a theology of human depravity. The eighth commandment exists because humans are depraved. And herein lies the main difference between conservative, conservative and liberal theologies. And also herein lies the main difference between conservative and liberal politics, believe it or not. In a book entitled Suicide of the West, a man by the name of James Burnham asserts that political liberalism also has a view of human nature. Here's how he describes it. And I quote, liberalism believes man's nature to be not fixed, but changing with an unlimited, indefinitely large potential for positive, good, favorable, progressive development. End quote. Clearly, the eighth commandment disagrees with liberal theory. It does. Hence the existence, for instance, let me give you a practical example. Hence the existence of something called checks and balances, right? Checks and balances within the constitution of the United States. This is a doctrine that says that powers must be separated and held accountable to each other. The practical application of this doctrine resulted in the separation of the three branches of government, legislative, executive, and judicial. Why was this so necessary? Well, James Madison answered that question in the Federalist Paper number 47, where he said that liberty is endangered, and I quote, where the whole power of one department is exercised by the same hands which possess the whole power of another department, end quote. In other words, if you centralize power upon one branch, or one person, or one institution, they will get corrupted. They will get corrupted. Consequently, liberty is endangered. It is clear that people, a person like James Madison understood human nature to be highly, highly corruptible and prone to abuse power. Therefore, to ensure the rights of the people, which includes the right to property. The founders of this country knew that power needed to be spread out, not centralized. And I believe that all these practices are a natural outflow of the eighth commandment. But let me just add a little insight of hope because of the gospel, because of the gospel, we know that one day we will dwell in a land where no separation of powers will be needed. No separation of powers will be needed for we will be ruled by a perfectly righteous King, our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ. And he will never, he will never be subject to corruption or selfish ambition. Therefore, this will truly be the perfect land. The promised land where righteousness dwells. We have that promise, brothers and sisters. We continue to look forward to that day. We have been sealed with the spirit until we acquire possession of our land. So we keep our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Next, what does the eighth commandment assume? It assumes the need for wise stewardship. It assumes the need for wise stewardship. 
I was going to word this particular point as follows. It forbids the misuse of our resources. That would have made sense. Another possibility was it assumes the call to live within our means. That also makes sense. But I thought wise stewardship is more comprehensive. So I went with wise stewardship. Wise stewardship, which includes living within our means, staying away from excessive debt and the proper use of our resources is clearly being taught in the eighth commandment. In other words, financial irresponsibility can and often does lead to unethical behavior. That is the point that I'm trying to make. At least we can affirm that financial irresponsibility can lead you to a place of unethical temptations. So wise stewardship is what the eighth commandment is calling for. This goes from the purchases that we make on a daily basis to the financial commitments that we enter into and even to our planning and our savings. In other words, the eighth commandment is calling us to responsible financial behavior, which by the way, goes hand in hand with contentment, contentment. Now there is a lot of talk, for example, about the irresponsible behavior of the United States government over the past several decades and all the debt incurred. But let me just make a simple point. It is proper to pay attention to those things. There's a place for that, but make sure your house is in order first, financially speaking, be responsible with your own resources and don't place yourself at risk of being tempted to steal. Sometimes stealing takes the form of withholding a payment. At other times, stealing takes the form of misusing funds to make up for another bad decision. Now you may argue and you may say to me, well, this is an exaggeration, but my friend, the same principle I mentioned last week, about adultery can also apply to stealing. I said that more often than not last week, adultery happens as a result of an accumulation of moments that were not thought through properly. Like the adulterous woman of Proverbs chapter five, the moment you stop pondering the path of life, you start walking a dangerous road. The same can be said about the eighth commandment. Much stealing happens as a result of an accumulation of decisions that were not thought through properly. Pondering the path of life doesn't just apply to our sexuality. It also applies to our resources and our finances to this end. And on a practical note, make sure that you cultivate contentment in your life by the constant practice of thanksgiving. Be thankful for what you do have. Secondly, Remember whose resources they are anyway. Yes, we do have private property, but within the Christian worldview, we also know that even what we have belongs to God. This reminded me of the words of David when he prayed in front of the assembly regarding the offerings for the temple in first Chronicles chapter 29, verses 14 and 16. Listen to these words of David, but who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? And then he says this, 
for all things come from you and of your own have we given to you. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. Based on that, here's an important thought for you to remember. Wise stewardship is built upon the conviction that stewards is all we are. Ownership belongs to God. To him belong all things. The next question is this. What does the eighth commandment demand? What does the eighth commandment demand? It demands the preservation of integrity. It demands the preservation of integrity. The eighth commandment goes hand in hand with integrity. And the Bible has much to say about integrity. In fact, it connects integrity with robbery. For instance, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 11, God told the people of Israel, you shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. It is very interesting that stealing and dealing falsely are placed side by side. And then in Leviticus 19, 13, we read, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. And then an explanation is provided as to what robbing our neighbor is. Listen to this. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. Who would have thought that untimely payment can be considered robbery? This is about integrity in our dealings. Listen to Proverbs chapter 11, verse one, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. You know what? The Lord loves integrity. Proverbs 16, 11, a just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. The Lord loves integrity. Proverbs 20, verse 23, unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord and false scales are not good. The Lord loves integrity. Anything outside of integrity runs the risk of becoming robbery. For instance, if we lack integrity in the management of our time at work, we are stealing. If we lack integrity in the dispensing of payment, we are stealing. If we lack integrity in the conduct of our business, we are stealing. In short, the eighth commandment is indeed a call to live in integrity in all of life because theft can take many different forms. So we need to keep that in mind. Next question. What does the eighth commandment presuppose what does the eighth commandment presuppose you're going to like this one it presupposes the sinfulness of laziness it presupposes the sinfulness of laziness i was talking with my family in chile this week and in case you don't know my country is going through 
some very difficult and quite interesting times right now. After being one of the strongest economies in all of South and Central America for the last 30 years or so, we now have been reduced to not even knowing who is in control anymore. It is total chaos and much corruption. But the burnt of the economic impact has been sustained by small businesses. And this is why my mom and my sister were telling me, here's what is happening. The government in my country has been giving out monetary aid to people. Sounds good, right? Sounds very good. Well, not really, because now there are too many people in my country losing interest in doing actual work. Doing actual work. They are beginning to figure out that if they can live on a monetary handout, why work at all? Why work at all? So on the one hand, there is plenty of work available because there are plenty of businesses desperately looking for workers. On the other hand, the out-of-control financial aid is training people to be lazy. Why are they doing that? Well, I believe the answer is simple. They want to create financial dependence rather than promote financial independence and personal effort through honest work. Why is that a problem? Well, all these initiatives, as good as they may sound, are effectively creating a culture of laziness. And laziness can ruin you. Did you know that? Laziness can ruin you. Indeed, laziness can ruin an entire society because it will create a people unwilling to work. And the less people work, the more idle they become. And as Thomas Watson said, an idle person tempts the devil to tempt him. A society that encourages laziness is setting itself up for disaster. Consider this, these simple yet profound words from Proverbs 20, verse 13a. The first part of Proverbs 20, verse 13. Love not sleep. Simple words. Love not sleep lest you come to poverty. Do you see the connection there? Sleeping too much and poverty. Love not sleep lest you come to poverty. In other words, laziness leads to poverty. And poverty is the bed upon which the desire for stealing begins to regain its strength. Now, this leads us to the next question. What does the eighth commandment magnify? Can you guess what the answer is? It magnifies the beauty of honest work. It magnifies the beauty of honest work. Now, I just read to you Proverbs 20, verse 13, the first half, which says, Love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Now, let me read to you the second half of the same verse. Proverbs 20, 13, B. Open your eyes and you will have plenty of bread. Do you see the connection? Simple wisdom. Simple wisdom. But so much needed today. Open your eyes and you will have plenty of bread. So Thomas Watson, he advised in, in this way. He said that in order to avoid breaking the eighth commandment, you must live in a calling, meaning 
be engaged in honest work. Be engaged in honest work. So let us connect this to our final question. Our last question. What does the Eighth Commandment promote? What does the Eighth Commandment promote? Here's the answer. It promotes the call to generous giving. Or you can say living. Each, each one. Either one will work. It promotes the call to generous giving. As I have mentioned before, all of the Ten Commandments are built upon the foundation of love. Love. Not legalism, but love. But as I said in my sermon on the Sixth Commandment, which is about murder, love is much more than simply abstaining from murdering someone. And I think we all agree on that. Love involves not murdering, but it does not stop there. The same holds true for the eighth commandment. Abstaining from stealing is just part of the commandment, but more is required. Paul said it best in Ephesians 4:28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. How interesting it is to think that at the end of the day, the eighth commandment is not so much about abstaining, but about loving our neighbor through generosity. Isn't that interesting? That at the end of the day, the eighth commandment is not so much about abstaining from stealing, but about loving our neighbors through generosity. And this is the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives. Of all the people in the world, we, the ones who say to believe in the Lord Jesus, we should be the most generous of all people in the world. When I preached from Ephesians 4.28, I made this statement. Honest Diligent work is fueled by compassion, followed by generosity, which are the two arms by which love embraces those in need. The ultimate application of the eighth commandment by brothers and sisters is this. You must work for the sake of generosity and in the name of love. It is amazing. For example, for an example of this, we look to God. We look to God. Why do we look to God? Why is the gospel the greatest framework for understanding the eighth commandment? Because God is the greatest giver. God is the greatest giver. He is eternally generous. He is eternally generous. He gave his own son for our salvation. And by the giving of his son, he also gives us life eternal. My brothers and sisters, God is the true giver of all good things. In fact, Jesus did not come to steal, but to give. He's the ultimate fulfillment of the eighth commandment. He did not come to steal. He came to give. In fact, Jesus, listen to this. Make the connection here. Jesus came to work for our sake. 
Jesus came to work for our sake. He worked for our redemption. But then he rose again, and the Bible says he entered his rest. But even his rest is so that we may now enter our rest with him. My friend, if you're an unbeliever this morning, you need to know this. Jesus Christ came into this world to work for the sake of sinners, to do what sinners could not do, to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, and to come back to life, defeating death. And if you believe in him today, you will be saved. In all things, Jesus thought of his church. He came to work for his church. Therefore, you shall not steal. Rather, work diligently and live generously for the sake of love. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for, once again, this simple and yet important reminder. Thank you that your word never returns to you void, but it always accomplishes the work for which it was sent. Thank you for the work of Jesus. Thank you that he came not to steal, but to work for the sake of his people, to earn for them eternal salvation and redemption. And thank you now that we have the privilege of working for the sake of others to live generously and to be in that way an example of what Christ has done for us through his perfect generosity. For we know that our eternal life comes to us because Christ Jesus has been good to us. And we thank you that his work was not in vain, but even until this day, the Lord Jesus has been working, building his own church. And we thank you that our hope is ultimately found in him. And if there is need for repentance among us, as we have heard the eighth commandment, lead us, Lord, to repentance. In the aspect of our lives in which we have not walked with integrity, help us to look to Christ and to find in him forgiveness. And thank you, Lord, that your word will always accomplish its work in us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.